0: Good morning. This is another Truth Factor discussion. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us for our study currently through the book of Romans. And we hope that maybe you'll find the the study beneficial. And it is our goal and our aim to factor the truth of God's word into our lives and hopefully your lives as well. Now, Paul is not with us here today, and Shelton isn't either. So I'll go ahead and share with you how you can participate in today's study if you'll like. If you'll notice the little ticker there at the bottom of the screen, you can comment on the various live streams where you may be watching this. In other words, if you're watching us on uh, Facebook, then use the the, uh, live stream comment area beneath that. And if you're watching us on YouTube, use the chat area. And we're monitoring all those, and you can also send us an email, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com, or you can text us. You can send us a text at 405-726-0874, and all those, of course, you'll see at the bottom of our screen. This is episode number 298, not too far away from 300. It is an interesting discussion we will have today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13. And um, it, it it is very interesting with everything that's going around and with what we're having to deal with right now. It really taxes the um, the scriptural understanding of every Christian. And um, it really makes us stop and and rethink things. And guys, I'll tell you, it's something that has dawned on me a, a number of times. I would strongly suggest that um, every congregation, when they're finally able to assemble inside their building, maybe one of the first prayers that we pray is that if by chance we were wrong in our decision, that God will have mercy on us and forgive us and understand why we made those decisions. I think about Ezra when he prayed for the people of Israel, he included himself. Many of the prophets, when they offered up prayers on behalf of the, the Israelites, uh, God's nation, they would remember themselves, and um, I, I like to think I'm confident in the decisions we made, although I'm not happy with them, but I wonder sometimes if maybe we should take that into account that we might want to ask forgiveness just in case we had a misunderstanding. Um, and I say all that because it's gonna work with Romans chapter 13. Any thoughts or comments on that before we actually get into the text? I mean,
1: yeah, I appreciate that, John. Yeah. I really do. It's it's been a struggle for me to decide one way or the other in this thing. But again, I I believe we've done the right thing. We've got elderly people that we don't want to get ill. Um, Orleans is comprised mostly of elderly people. But I think of Job in in answer to your to your statement. I think of Job here's a man that offered sacrifice in case his children had sinned. Yeah. You know, he, he couldn't decide for sure. The least we can do is tell God, you know, this was a tough decision that our minds couldn't wrap our our hands around. So if, if we're wrong, let's be forgiven, please. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And John, uh, I do that every Sunday. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, you yeah. know, in in our in our home and our worship, uh, I my prayer to God is that what we are doing is acceptable. You know our hearts. You know that we're. You know that we're trying to do the best we can, and uh, and also uh, uh, I pray that this will end as quickly as possible. Yeah.
0: So yeah, and that's about the best we can do right now. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's see. Let's go ahead, and we're going to start with Romans chapter thirteen. And I've divided this up um, in the outline. Let me bring it down where I've got it in my visual here. I think I've got it set up now. I had to make a a change to it, but I think we have it set for Mike. I'm going to have you to read, if you would, the first seven verses of Romans chapter 13, sir. Where'd Mike go?
1: You're muted, Mike. I did that a little while ago. I apologize. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but because, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor.
0: All right, Mike, I appreciate that reading there. All right, let's see. Let me see if I've got the chat room sent over now properly. There we go. Thanks, Brian, for putting that up for us there. Um, The chat room question is, what do you think Paul meant when he told the brethren to be subject to the government for conscience' sake? Okay, I may have misspelled that, but anyway, for conscience' sake, um, what do you think Paul meant by that statement there? All right, so let me... Bring back up um, this passage here that we're currently looking at. It is interesting in the Apostle Paul's uh letter to the church at Rome that he really he he really hits this point very, very hard. Let's look at that again. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, probably one of the first questions we might ask Paul is why? Okay. Well, in the context there, he tells us something that seems a bit strange. And, and um, you know, Mike, Mike when he says therefore for there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God, I think this is something that really we probably need to stop and take a moment to consider what Paul means by that. Do you, you, you have any thoughts on that, Mike? I do. I do. God is supreme in all
1: things. And if we doubt that, then we better look at the weather around us, for one thing. Uh, he is he is the supreme ruler throughout the history of mankind beginning at Genesis and onward you can find numerous examples where God controlled the leadership of various people and then various nations Um, in a little while John's got a note here that we'll go to in the book of Isaiah the 10th chapter but there are there are numerous things God did in order to make his people stay his people. I think of a a scripture that we don't have in the outline here, but Paul made mention of the fact that God raised up Pharaoh for God's purpose. Pharaoh was a horrible leader of a nation. He was mean, vindictive, cruel. He hated Israel uh, and and desired them to to be slaves. the Pharaoh that rose up and knew not Joseph even took away the straw from those Israelites and told them that the tally of the bricks had to remain exactly the same. Well, you can't hardly make good bricks without straw to bind the clay. But nonetheless, God raised him up. God set him in that position of authority. I think the problem that we end up with here is does God then make people evil? And the answer to that's no. He simply uses that individual that was evil to begin with, has no respect for God anyway, uses them in a situation that will allow a benefit to those that do love God. Even in our own country, we've had presidents, and I'm not going to be political here, this is the wrong place to be political, but we've had presidents in our nation that, quite frankly, I couldn't agree with their decisions. I'm not satisfied I can agree with all the decisions that President Trump's making. By the same token, that power is what God ordained. Maybe not always the man. By the same token, it's hard to to see that God ordained the power and didn't allow a man to to possess it. So what I'm saying is the, the leadership of all nations is what God ordained. At times, God allowed a leadership that you and I wouldn't approve of simply to make his people understand the greater authority is God.
0: All righty. I think that's a good point. Tom, I think you said you had a thought as well on this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A couple of real quick thoughts. One of the things that this passage points out is that God ordained government. Uh, uh, we all, I, I often make the, the observation from Genesis chapter one, that there are three institutions that God uh, ordained, uh, the home, the church and government. So this is from God. Just imagine what a society would be like without government. I, I, mean, I mean, you can even look at corrupt governments and so on. You still have to have some type of a governing authority or you're gonna have problems. Uh, uh, judges, the very last verse, You know, there was no king, Every done, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. A society will not last long like that. And by the way, That's not to say that Israel wasn't supposed to have a government. They were, uh, it was supposed to be a, a, what what we would call a theocracy, you know, governed by governed by the rules of God and so on. But, but the fact still remains no government equals chaos. So you have to have some kind of an authority.
0: Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that being the case, and I, I agree with what you're saying, it's, um, we we don't we shouldn't look at it, and I think sometimes we kind of get caught up with this, where we look at it from the standpoint that are you trying to say God has ordained or authorized, you know, the the laws that are that are you know permitting abortions and things like that. And that's not the point that Paul is talking about. He wasn't saying that God approved of everything that the Roman government was doing, it's the government in and of itself, that position of of watchfulness and leadership over us, God has given the authority to, and part of it's for the benefit of his people in in general. you know. Um, But now I want you to notice something that really brings us even to home even more so. And Brian, I was kind of thinking about, about you when I was thinking about this, and I don't know why I was thinking about you when I was thinking about this. But you'll notice there in verse two, he says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Brian, do you think this is judgment from the government or judgment from God? You know, you it's,
3: it's an interesting point. I, I think he is talking about judgment from God. Uh, there's a variety of different passages throughout Scripture that, that give us a sense of the of the expectation of the Christian towards government. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 22, you know, that we're to render to the government its due. Um, Titus chapter 3 in verse 1, he says, we're to be subject to the government for the sake of righteousness. And that sense of the sake of righteousness implies the idea that it's it's for the sake of our godliness that we're doing this. So being ungodly is subject to a penalty from God. So I, I would suggest probably what we're talking about here, bringing judgment, is that sense. Now, Peter would talk about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he would say that we might suffer from the government. And he says, but we're not to suffer in such a way that, you know, it's as though we're a lawbreaker or something like that. I think that that contrast might be important to consider, too, that there is the possibility that we do suffer a penalty of the law if we're in violation of it. And that is contrary to the righteousness of God. So you know it could be that the idea is both. I'll take a Tom and I'll say both or yes, you know. However, Tom usually does that. But See all of the above. All of the above. But, you know I, that I have a sense that if we are, like I said, from Second Peter or from First Peter, if we're being punished for for ungodly behavior, then we are subject to both the punishment of the government and the punishment of God.
0: Um. Okay. I think I can I can agree with that, um, especially the aspect of fo- both because ultimately I, I do think like what you're talking about. It is the judgment of God for us rejecting the authority that He is permitted to to watch over our lives. But as He goes on and talks about it, the judgment also comes from the authority because He doesn't bear the sword in vain. You know, and yeah. and I. I like the fact, Brian, that you connected that with Peter's statement in regards to um, if we suffer, that's fine, but let us not suffer for doing evil.
2: Yeah, yeah. You you know, and, and I I agree with Brian, especially. I I think primarily this is dealing with the wrath of God. I mean, you know, you're supposed to submit to God. That's the point that he's dealing with. But but it is it is worthwhile to think about if we as Christians do things to uh, provoke the government when we don't have to and when we shouldn't be doing it. Uh, we are bringing a judgment on ourselves that affects our faith, affects our influence on others, and things such as that. So maybe that does factor in from that standpoint. But 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 I believe that primarily it, it, this is primarily addressed toward Christians and being accountable to God for rejecting basically breaking laws that you don't need to break.
0: Well, would we say there's a difference between resisting and doing evil? He says, but if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That too could be referencing the judgment that would come from the government and also, of course, the judgment of God too that we would face.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, sh- and surely in dealing with the idea of resist, I think the word resist as it is used there means somebody that's breaking the law. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever is involved in that. Uh, and, and really, uh, is this something that we have to keep in our minds when we engage yeah. in the discussion about what is going on right now? We had some pre-study discussion about this. And honestly, we need to think about that word
0: well, notice the phrase there in verse four, on him who practices evil, that was kind of the question. yeah is is, is that going to be one and the same? The one who yeah. resists the government is the same one who practices evil
2: and And the answer to that would be uh, uh, I, I think yes and no. It, it is when it is when the government is uh, is passing laws that are consistent with God's laws. But what the government calls evil, we
0: don't necessarily call evil. Yeah. But, but Paul's not dealing with that. In, in the context of what Paul's dealing with, the answer would be yes. All things being equal in right. the context of this, he's he's not dealing with the Acts 4 and Acts 5. Right. Acts five, you know. Yeah, where right. um you know you decide whether we should obey God or you. But as you know, for us, we must do what the Lord has told us to do. I don't think Paul's dealing with those that situation. He's dealing with in general the attitude of we need to have respect and obey the law of the land. If not, yeah. there's judgment both from God and, you know, uh, as and Brian pointed out, Peter, you know, we suffer for doing evil, then we'd have something to be ashamed of.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but now where the challenge comes in in that is when the government calls evil that which God calls good.
0: I just, I get, I don't disagree with that. I just yeah. don't think that in the context of what we're talking about, here. Right. I don't think that's a point here. I think that is a point elsewhere made. And almost uh don't take this wrong, it's a very obvious point. You know, I mean no, it's I agree it's, with you. Yeah. Um but I within the with context you. here, Paul doesn't make the allowance for the exception, but I think it's because that's not what he's dealing with. You know. Exactly.
2: I agree yeah. with that. I I agree with everything you said.
0: So all the way going down to paying taxes. <laughs>
3: Yeah, okay, whatever. Can I throw a point out there real quick? uh, Please do.
0: Yeah.
3: One, One thing I think is important to understand is that this isn't a standalone concept, that there are multiple things that God has said, you need to submit yourself to this authority for my sake. And a lot of times it helps me to kind of put it in that characteristic. So for example, Tom mentioned that of the institutions God created, the home and marriage are part of that. So, we have this conversation that God says about husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands. We have the conversation of, you know, fathers, don't exasperate your children, Uh, children, honor your father and mother, Um, employees, employers versus, you know, the the concept of the slave and master. Let's call them employees, employers, so it fits to our circumstances. And the point is, each of these are relationships where, where God says, just like with government, you need to honor and respect that institution. Now, in each circumstance, there can be a fraudulent or an inappropriate uh, abuse of that relationship, husbands, wives, parents, children. And certainly, you know, you said it well, John, when you said it's kind of a, an obvious point that we're not going to violate God's will with these. And that goes to any of those things, you know, to the husband and wife, to the parent and child, you know, that there's a That there's a sense of submission that's beyond those relationships, but we're supposed to submit to those institutions themselves. That's fundamentally what our respect is brought to, is to the institution itself, because the institution, God made it for the purpose of securing or or, uh, making satisfactory civilization, and God's going to make the point that I act on your behalf in those things, so you've got to trust me, which is where we're going whenever he's going to say, vengeance is mine. You don't, get to do that. I'm in charge of handling governments. I'm in charge of handling marriages, homes, all these things, and you don't get to break my rules uh, for the sake of trying to get about a a vengeance or a fairness. You know, the the Word of God will say many times, you know, if you're a servant of an unfair master, you're still going to serve them. And, And that even comes true of a government, a Roman government that was unfair to Christians, that was you know, uh, unfair, and yet here is the letter to that church in the city where that government lies.
0: That's a good point. I like the I like the way you worded that. I appreciate you. Um, one one more thought, and then we'll go to the chat room question, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in in the the pre show discussion there. Um, when we think about the terminology here, that uh, let me bring it back up on the screen there. Verse four specifically, there we go, get rid of that. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We were kind of talking about earlier the similarity between this and God's use of other nations against Israel as a means and a form of of punishment on that. Um, Mike, I think you kind of introduced this a little bit earlier in our discussion. Um, Isaiah chapter 50, not 55, Isaiah 10, verses five through 19, it is clear that Assyria was God's rod against Israel. Now Assyria would still have to answer for their mistreatment of the people of God, but they were still considered the rod against God's people. Babylon as well. Uh, someone dropped into our notes here, Ezekiel 30, verse 24, I'll strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. And so mm-hmm. this kind of, we kind of learned something from this. And Mike, I'll kind of throw this at you. Does this kind of suggest to us maybe that if our local government, and Brian, you actually introduced this this, this thought, and I appreciate it too. But Mike, does this mean that if our local government mistreats us as Christians, that God will ultimately judge them. Yes. Uh, God God
1: did punish Babylon. He punished Assyria. He punished uh, Rome. He he punished every nation that unjustly persecuted His people. Yet at the same time, let's not forget that the reason Israel was in bondage to Babylon was because of Israel's sin. to Assyria because of Israel's sin and et cetera, et cetera. So when God uses these ministers uh, for wrath, that's exactly what He means. Uh, he, he is the Avenger, and that's precisely what Paul says here. The fact is that in today's world, we lose we lose uh, thought of those kind of things. I I earnestly believe that. God has brought judgment to some within the United States just to wake us up. Um, I I regret sincerely the thousands of lives that were lost on 9-11 of 01. But I can tell you that for several months thereafter, there were people scurrying to find out what they must do to be saved, uh, even with this present day virus. I find it very interesting that people are turning now to God for answers more than they have in several. If that's what it takes to make a nation repent and obey God, then let's accept it. I thought, I had a thought when Brian was talking there a minute ago, every one of us makes choices. Some marriages fail because we made a dumb choice in the first place. Um, Adultery is a dumb choice. Fornication is a dumb choice, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, God's law, whenever God's law is broken, you're going to suffer the consequences. Every choice has a consequence. If the government chooses to inflict harm upon Christians, we end up maybe, and and possibly very likely will, if the government makes punishment upon the Christian, then we become victims. But I remember that when the disciples of the of the first century were persecuted for, for preaching Christ, they counted it all joy to suffer shame for his namesake. It is a remedy, if you will, to make Christians understand their eliteness spiritually. And it is a persuasion to cause evil ones to think about their evilness and repent of it. That's what the Avenger
0: does. Okay. All right. Tom, you had a thought on this as well.
2: Yeah, I uh, totally agree with all of that. Think, uh, You know, when we look at what's going on now, and even at verses like this, we talk about how it might cause us as a people, a nation to, to repent or, or, or to reevaluate. What about as churches? Uh, you know, you know th- think about it as churches I, I mean one of the things with this stay at home order and and you know with churches having to change what they're doing and how they do it is it going to cause us to actually honestly take, take a look at where we are and are we right with God uh, have we become too complacent, too flippant uh, and various other words that you might use along that line so I think that's worthy of consideration, even with what I, this quote unquote present distress that we're
0: dealing with. Okay. All right. I appreciate that thought and thoughts from everyone there, Ryan, Was there anything you wanted to share before we go to the chat room question?
3: Well, um, You know, one one thing we're going to bring up, I I see it in some of our chat comments, and I think that it's important to understand. In fact, I would suggest, first of all, this chapter really began back in Romans 12 and verse 17, when he starts off with that conversation to respect what is right in the sight of all men, and what things are right in the sight of all men, marriage, government, um, and that's where the vengeance conversation comes into play, and that's going to be the point of the bearing of the sword. Uh, And I think the bearing of the sword conversation is really interesting because it's twofold. Peter would elaborate in 1 Peter 2 by saying part of it is to punish the evildoer, the, the individual person. But you you rightly brought out that we also have a sense that part of the government's purpose in the sword is also to punish the nation uh, that's uh, doing what's wrong. And it's interesting because you look at a nation like Assyria or Babylon or even Persia later, that these nations weren't like especially godly nations. They were simply given the sword for the purpose of bringing a justice uh, because God said, you know, I am don't get vengeance. I'm going to take care of things. And I think that that has to underlie a lot of our respect for government to understand that God's control, that this is part of God's control, that this is part of God's establishment of authorities, and that we're supposed to respect these things because these are the ways by which God operates. Even if a lot of times we're not exactly saying, you know, and, and and I would put it out there to say, you know, there's been a lot of ungodly people that have led our country or led other countries. Uh, in fact, I would say just about all of them have been ungodly. And yet perhaps they are there to do something uh, that God has has authorized them to do in answer to this question that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so like I said, I feel like it's important. And I feel like that's going to be part of the answer to your question, uh, your, your chat room question. I don't want to step on that too much. But to the idea of the conscience answer I think it's important, again, that Romans 12, 17 is brought back to mind as to what part of that is. And like I said, I don't want to go too far in that because I see we got some good answers already to think about.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and um, bring. I'll bring the chat question back up, and then, Brian, I'll have you to bring in the responses. Chat got, question was, what do you think Paul meant when he told the brethren to be subject to the government or conscience, sake? All right. What do we have there, Brian? So uh, I guess we'll go to Facebook first, and there we've got Dan
3: Gatlin. Dan's a a guest on our program and a preacher uh, there in Central Texas, and Dan's comment is the following. God has commanded us to obey civil government, with one exception, Acts 5.29, where the, the command of the government was to cease preaching Christ, and the apostles there said we must obey God rather than men. If we disobey government, we violate God's command as well. Our conscience cannot be clear if we are in rebellion to God. And it was a great answer uh, that Dan gave us there. Uh, we also have an answer from Gregor Hinckley. Gregor's a, a local here in Portland, um, very good friend of mine. And Gregor's comment in our YouTube chat is, We are to glorify God in all things. If we are model citizens, we glorify God. Being beyond reproach is a glory to God. With the idea that we answer to God, not man. And I think that that's a a really important point. Uh, both of, actually, both the points are really important. And they even kind of reach on. I, I note to some of the things we're going to be talking about here in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to be talking about oh no, man, anything. And I and I really believe that those that's the concluding thought of the idea that began back in Romans twelve seventeen. Of the idea of respecting what is right in the sight of men, you know, conscience could apply not just to our own conscience, but to the conscience of the people around us, and that we're respecting the things that are honorable in the sight of all men uh, is twofold. Both the things that men hold as honorable, like like Paul would say, or, or the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews thirteen, the marriage bed is honorable among all. There's that sense of what's honorable in the sight of men, and government is honorable among all all men. Have, a, have an esteem for it, and we respect those things. Uh, in part, that's the glory of God. So that really reaches to the next point too, and I just really appreciate both those comments, uh, yeah. uh, Gregor and Dan. Really appreciate that those thoughts.
0: Something that I hadn't really I hadn't thought about, maybe even even mentioning. Sometimes we think of conscience, we throw it into Romans chapter fourteen because of the discussion there, but this more harkens to i um I'm drawing a blank. Maybe a Hebrew writer tells us where our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience. Yeah, that's you know.
3: Hebrews 10, right? You know, right before yeah. he talks about the, you know, uh, what, 22, 23, um, where he's talking about, you know, that, that very idea. And, you know, Paul or Peter talks about the response of the good conscience towards God, First Peter yeah. three twenty one, twenty two. So,
0: 22. Yeah, and that's a good point. They're on the subject of baptism and using his family as example. Um, So I appreciate both the comments there. Very, very helpful. Well, let's go ahead and then move on to the next section there, which is uh, scripture-wise, just three verses, eight through 10. And let's see. I think we have that one assigned to Mr. Tom to read, sir. So if you would read verses eight through 10 of Romans chapter 13.
2: All right. So we read there, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law.
0: Okay, thank you, Tom. So, you know, in thinking about this passage, oftentimes I've heard this passage used, and please give me a couple minutes before you, you jump in if you disagree. I've oftentimes heard this passage used in reference to financial debt, where he says, owe no one anything except to love one another. And I've heard, brethren, you know, really lay hard on that that idea about and applying it to a financial situation. But I really think that in the context here, it is much more than simply being something attributed to being in debt to someone. Uh, matter of fact, when you study the scriptures, there's, there, we see quite often that the idea of someone having to pay someone back, matter of fact, the very, the very forgiveness of our sins um, is because it is a debt that we can never repay other than just to faithfully serve our heavenly father. But this goes back to what Brian was talking about, I think earlier in the text. So Tom, what do you think about that? Do you think that there is a bit of financial responsibility talk here? Or do you think Paul is dealing with something much, much more deeper?
2: Yeah, John, I, I want to answer that, but before I do, do you want to put that chat room question up? Oh, it, it should, should be
3: sure up do. already.
0: No, I forgot to um, let's do that real quick. Thank you, Brian. And let me get it sent forward there. Thanks, Tom, for catching that. So what is seen in these verses which show us uh, that Paul knew well the teachings of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So what what in, in the text here, what we just read, there's a statement that is made which shows us that Paul was very familiar. At least when I wrote the question, this seemed like the proper answer at the time. It seemed like Paul was familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And I just now realize there will probably be a couple of answers uh, to that. So, so what, what do you think, Tom? When when we look at the text here, do you think Paul's point is establishing a lesson that is intended more for uh, financial, or do you think there's more to it than this, uh, or than that? Uh,
2: I'm going to default back to my C, all of the above. Uh, but, 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 but having said that, I, I honestly think that this is a great passage to deal with from a financial standpoint. And um, uh, even though I don't think owing somebody something is limited to money, I think money definitely fits into this. And, and, and I, uh, you know, getting into a discussion of money, I don't think Paul here is saying that it's wrong to borrow money. He he is saying if you do pay your debts, but but he's also saying don't don't live in such a way where you are where you are enslaved to your debtor, which the Bible actually says that in Proverbs the borrower is the slave to the lender. You know, live live your way where it's not about your material possessions and so on. And I think that's ultimately the point that he's making here. You know. Uh, um, make sure that make sure that what you owe others is love and by the way the way he says it here you may be uh you know as 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 there's some prominent radio talk shows and say uh, and such would say you may be completely and totally debt free not owe a single person any financial burden whatsoever but that never ever changes your responsibility to love others uh, th- that's a command that no matter how much you do it, you haven't done it enough or, or you're not done. You can't retire from loving one another. So, so I, I, I think while it does have a financial implication to it, I don't think it's
3: limited to that.
0: Okay. All right. So Tom, Tom takes that position, Brian, Do you want to go at it from a different standpoint?
3: So I'm on the other side of the table from Tom, you know, no, I'm actually, I would say this, I would say that Tom's exactly right as far as uh, Paul's teaching in other places, or actually just the teachings of the New Testament about the importance of, you know, not being uh, under the control of your debt. You know, I might go over to, uh, I don't know, 1 Corinthians 7, where it talks about don't be a slave, you know, the idea of debt. But, but I, my perspective on this passage is that it actually has nothing to do with finances. Uh, contextually, we're moving from the point of our obligation to the government and then we're going to be moving into our point for our obligation to one another. And even into chapter 14, we're still having that conversation about the obligations we have to each other. And I think that if we were to apply this to finances, it makes a pretty dangerous uh, statement. Oh, no one anything. And that would imply the idea that if, if this were a financial statement, that it, it's a pretty black and white commandment at that point. You know, I can't buy a car or buy a house or anything that I have to buy by a mortgage of debt because of because of that requirement that I can't owe anyone anything if, if it were talking about finances. But like I said, I, I don't disagree with Tom. I think Tom's uh, points are valid. I just don't, I'm not sure that I would say this verse has any circumstance to do with that because again... The statement of owing no one anything—I I think we have lots of times in the Bible where Jesus, even in parables, uses the idea of debtors and owing debts. Um, you know, the idea of Onesimus's debt to Philemon—that there's lots of times where there were people who had debts to others, and it didn't make them at all—didn't um, uh, make them at all uh, immoral or inappropriate. But if this were a commandment about finances, I think that it would. So I see it a little differently than Tom. I think Mike's trying to get my attention. All right, Mike, you got a thought
1: on it? I'd like to add to that. If you go back to the previous verses, you know, I'm, I had a fellow told me, he says, we'd get more done if you quit going back. Well, anyway, I want to go back to verse six. Because of this, pay your taxes. They're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Well, Those, those individuals need to be compensated for their labor. Uh, Render, therefore, to all their due, therefore owe no man anything, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Uh, Brian is exactly right in the context. You don't want to owe anything to these people that God has placed in authority. You, You treat them with the same kind of love that you would treat anybody else uh (laughs) to borrow a cliche if i will uh loving your neighbor is loving yourself which is bible love your neighbor as yourself would sure go a long way if government would reciprocate the love wouldn't
0: it okay all righty um it's a good point
2: okay so i i I guess i get to reply to brian right so so uh, and, 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 and I don't disagree with Brian. I mean, I mean, and, and if you recall, one of the points I made is I don't think it's exclusive to finances. I, I, and, and, and I will stand by that. And I, I, I would look at the anything in this verse, I, I think it does include, and, and and I think it's inclusive of that because, because, uh, but I do agree with Brian, you got to, you got to put the, uh, the, the whole, everything the Bible says about the subject together. And when when you do that, the idea if you're paying your bills, you know, I mean, if you if you borrow from a brother, and uh, you set up twelve payments with your brother, if you've made that one payment this month, you don't owe him anything, right now. So and and uh, so I I kind of look at it from that standpoint. So so I don't have a problem putting a financial. Uh, attachment to this verse, but I, but, but I want to be very clear that I do agree with Brian that it's not exclusively financial.
0: Okay. All right. Let's see. All right. One more point here, and then we're going to jump to the the chat room question. So then we can we'll move on to our next section. It is interesting when you look at the way this breaks down. Mike tagged verse eight to verse seven, which I thought was very interesting. And I had not considered doing that um, in the connection there, but when you look at the latter part of verse eight, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. All right, so there, there's the point: he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, what law? We'll look at the various examples of there. There's five found within the text there, and they're they're pulling from the law that God originally gave on Mount Sinai: don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and do not covet. And if there's anything, any other commandment, they're all summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that That is a direct connection. If I could draw a line on the computer screen, and I can't because you won't see it, but if I could draw a, a line on the computer screen, you would see a connection there between, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and "Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Showing the context there, and then ultimately love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. And so it's, it's interesting, the idea that it's being, um, put, put forth there within the, uh, the support of that statement there, but let's go ahead and jump to our chat room real quick. Brian, did we have any answers to the question?
3: No, apparently it was, uh, uh, it was too tough. I don't see an answer in Facebook and I don't see an answer in YouTube. Um, right. I don't know. Is anybody else seeing something I'm missing? Sometimes I miss no. the YouTube or the Facebook comments.
0: No, and this 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 could have been one of those cases. They were they were like, "Look, that's too obvious. I'm not going to waste my time on it." Um, or we enthralled them with our discussion of, "Oh no, man, that thing."
3: That's what it was actually. They yeah. were so caught up in our words that they forgot <laughs> to look at that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, or or it could be that as the question was posted, they said, "Huh?" Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's very likely. So. <laughs> Now, again, when I wrote the question last night, it made sense. So let me explain myself. Notice in there in verse, um, the latter part of verse 9, all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what came back to mind immediately was a question that Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, which is the greatest commandment. And so he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those, I think, are found at least in Deuteronomy 6, maybe Deuteronomy 11. I'd have to go back and double check. Um, With that statement, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So aha. See, this shows us that Paul knew knew Jesus' teachings because he said the same thing that Jesus said. But then when I was reading through the question, my thought was, well, Paul, knowledge of the old law would, have him to say the same thing that Jesus ultimately said there. Um, so that, that was the, what I was looking for is that phrase right there. Paul quoted, you shall love your neighbors yourself in the context, kind of as Jesus used it, because he says on these two, hang the whole of the law there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. And, and just kind of by way of reminder, uh, the commandments that Paul mentions in this text, they're in the latter half of what we would, uh, of the 10 commandments, and, and I've, I've always broken the Ten Commandments down into two groups. Uh, uh, the first ones deal with loving God, and the second ones deal with loving your neighbor. And all of these are in the latter one. These are these are all the love your neighbor as yourself commands. When you love your neighbor, this
1: is the way you're going to treat your neighbor.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, who else had a comment there? Someone else had, had spoken. John,
1: just the, last, just the last verse that you looked at here, and we touched on it a minute ago love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's a two-way street. We, We love God and keep His commandments. God loves us and He keeps His promises. Well, now, if you go to the next level, we love our fellow man. The object is to get our fellow man to love us. And the best way to do that is to love God and show how to love God toward our fellow man. Sometimes governments will understand that, most of them won't, but it does no harm to a neighbor, and it fulfills the law of God. Yeah,
0: that's right. Okay, appreciate all the the thoughts and comments on that. So let's go ahead and jump into our next section real quick. And there's probably a lot that we could say about this, but I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. So, Brian, would you mind, sir, reading 11 through the end of the chapter here? Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse
3: 11. And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts.
0: righty, thank you, Mr. Brian there. The chat room question for this section is as follows. What are your thoughts on Paul's statement, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? What do you think about that? For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. All right, so coming back then to this particular passage here, he makes the comment to the brethren. And and, and Brian, let me see. Let me double check my outline here real quick. Yeah, this was what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Is it possible here that Paul is making a more generalized statement as opposed to maybe making a specific charge against the Romans? When you study 1 Corinthians, there are clearly specific charges there, but do you think maybe this is more of a generalized warning?
3: You know, I would uh I would probably say it's more generalized in part because to me it sounds a lot like what Paul also told the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, we're doing a Bible study in Ephesians 5, and we just covered chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through uh, 19, and I was, and and that came to my mind right away, where he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That sounds a lot like what Paul just said to the Romans, you know, the the concept of, uh, you know, awake from the slumber it's time to work, it's daylight, the light has come, it's time for you to be doing the things you need to be doing. I'm not sure the timeliness statement is about, you know, anything that's impending to the church in Rome specifically. I think he's saying more that the time the time that we've been looking for for thousands of years is at hand. It's time for us to get to work and start living like Christ.
0: Okay. I think that's a good explanation of that. Any other thoughts on that from? Um... Mike, you got any thoughts on it?
1: No, I'm going to leave it there.
2: Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I I would just make the quick comment. Uh, aren't we always nearer than we were when we first started?
0: Well, don't go too deep. I want the chat room to talk about
2: that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and we will. So. And I'm just going to leave it there. So.
0: Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see uh, what else was there I wanted to kind of consider here within the text there. Let's see. So I, I like Ryan's explanation. There's not much more I think that really needs to be said about it. There is, and and um, the connection with Ephesians is a, is a wonderful connection there with that. And this is a message that we need to be preaching as well. The idea that we need to walk properly is in the day. We don't need to be behaving as the world in the revelry and drunkenness. We don't need to be be controlled by lewdness and lust, nor strife and envy. It's the idea of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I think verse 14 really says a lot about how sin is developed within our lives. I mean, of course, we could bring James chapter 1 into this text here, but here in verse 14, it's real simple. Either we, we, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we do that, we won't make provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I don't know of anyone that has ever accidentally stumbled into a situation where they wound up fulfilling their lust. In every situation, go back to David Bathsheba, in every situation there is somewhere or another the intent to say, okay, let's go. you know. And, and so whatever that sin is, whatever the lust he might be talking about here, whatever the flesh is desiring, we should not make provisions to fulfill those unlawful desires there. Um, and, and one more thought real quick before we run out of time. This is a perfect verse for preachers. Anytime you see somebody sleeping during your sermon, turn over to this passage and just, you know, start out kind of soft and do this knowing the time that now it is high time. And then with great emphasis and you hit the podium to awake out of sleep. I've Often wanted to try that, but I don't think I've done it yet. So, All right. Any final thoughts or comments on this section, and before we go to the the chat room, see if we've got any quick comments there. Just
1: one very careful and quick question, uh, quick comment, John. Once we've put on Christ in baptism, there's no authority to take him off. And in in reference to Colossians three, in fact, our life is gone. Our life is hid in Christ in God. Galatians 2.20 is another one. No one ever lived through a crucifixion, so the old man of sin in us is dead, buried. We rose to walk in newness of life. We need to think first, what would Jesus do and act accordingly? Colossians 3.17. And that takes care of this lust of the flesh. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All righty. Right, I think we've got, do we have one comment
3: we do have one comment from Jared. Uh, Jared Dart gives us a comment. Jared out of uh, the Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Jared says, because we know more about his word than when we first heard it. You know, it's funny. I I, I was thinking of this very differently, and yet Jared's thought there is really good. Uh, one I hadn't really considered uh, in that sense, and I really appreciate that, Jared.
0: That's kind of, to me, in a very simplistic way, and this is not a knock against Jared, when you read that, that's kind of what sometimes comes to mind. You know, no. go back to the day that you believed, and now this is twenty years later, thirty years later. How long, you know, think about how long it may have been for Paul? You know, when we are closer now to the day of salvation than we first believed. But what would your take on it? I'm curious now to. Well, to you know, that. I usually
3: think of the idea, and I think Tom kind of hinted at it too that. Every day, we're a day closer to receiving our inheritance. Every, every moment oh. that passes, our, our time is, I look at it more as a timeliness statement, but Jared's comment there about knowledge, that every day we have more knowledge, making our salvation more sure was a really, really neat way of putting that yeah. too. So.
0: That's right. In other words, you're saying every day, we're one day closer to our death.
3: Well, yeah, or <laughs> hey, the Lord's coming. Yeah, one of the two. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see we got a second comment that just came in and I, I didn't see it before.
0: All right, I think it just popped in there, so I'll bring it up if you'd like to share it.
3: Yeah, so this is Dan Gatlin again. Uh, Dan says the following, salvation can refer to either our current condition or final salvation in heaven. Final salvation seems to be in mind. Since the Father has fixed the time of the second coming, we're drawing closer to it, or do I misunderstand? So so Dan's kind of saying something similar that I said when I think of the either the day of my death or the day of the Lord's return, every day that passes, you know, that's kind of what I see it but Dan makes a yeah. good point to say that salvation can also refer to our current situation, which is kind of how Jared was looking at that too. So uh, Dan actually said it a little better than I did, but uh, I appreciate yeah. that.
0: I think both both are good comments, good, good, good ways of looking at that. Definitely. All righty. Um, so let's let's go ahead and go around the clock here real quick. Brian, we'll start with you. Do you have any of the final thoughts, comments on this? Nothing else. All right. Uh, Mike, how about you?
1: I'm good. I appreciate the study today very much.
0: All right. And and Tom? Uh,
1: Not much, just very relevant. We can apply this
2: to what's going on today. Uh, even, even if we weren't dealing with our current situation, whatever's going on in your life right now, this is a very practical
3: chapter.
0: That's right. Hey, real quick, uh, Brian, bring in Gregor's thoughts.
3: Yeah, I just saw it. Uh, Gregor's comment said uh, to our question, uh, our salvation comes after we leave this carnal plane. The law was fulfilled in Christ's death. The destruction of the temple is a symbol of the genealogical salvation in Abraham. Now we step each day closer to our final reward. So again, I think uh, Gregor's kind of seeing that as uh, kind of similar to Dan. and, And as I was saying, I saw it too, is, as every day is a day closer to that yeah. ultimate inheritance. Okay.
0: Appreciate that guys. Appreciate your thoughts very much. Sometimes we have a hard time remembering that there's a delay from when we, sometimes there'll be upwards to a 20 to a 30 second delay. So it takes us a little bit longer. Um, I will say this one thing, um, uh, and this has to do with the current distress in relationship to our discussion. And I'll, I'll make it really quick, especially about the government. How many times have we as preachers stood in the pulpit and said, if the law of the land ever tells us that we must stop worshiping God, that we must take a stance for what is right and never give in. Oddly enough, and I'm, I'm going to attribute this to Satan, and I don't, I'm not saying that Satan brought all this about, but it might be said Satan found a way of There's a loophole around our declaration because the government isn't out there trying to stop us from worshiping God. But yet, because of this virus and the pandemic, we found ourselves in a situation where to honor the government and respect others, obviously, we don't have our local meeting places and have it now for six or seven weeks. Um, so we may have to rethink that statement when we go forward in the future, and that great declaration on our parts, and make sure that because I I've often said it would never happen in my lifetime where the government says you can't worship. Well, it's not quite what has happened, but yet, you know, here we have six weeks, and it's it's been it's been rough. Um, and others have had it worse in other countries where it was religious persecution because um, I don't think this is religious persecution intentionally, um, but in some countries it is. So. All righty, well, that that's it. So let's continue praying. Um, let's continue to, to pray every day, study every day, and continue to trust in God as we go through this. Thank you so much for all your participation this morning and for your kind attention. If you're watching this at a future point in time, just follow the instructions on the ticker at the bottom of the screen. If you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at TruthFactorLive.com dot com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, if everything goes according to plan, we will continue our study next Wednesday It we'll be in Romans chapter 14 next Wednesday. And um Mike, if you can handle it, I'm gonna have you to fill in for Paul. So let's get ready to go. Okay. <laughs> that'll be, okay. That'll be next Wednesday at eleven There'll o'clock A.M.
1: questions than answers. <laughs> yeah.
0: No. Um next Wednesday, eleven <laughs> o'clock AM Central Time. All right, now noon, your turn, Mike.
3: Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Mountain.
0: And if it ever changes, we'll let you know, right here live.truthfactor.com. <laughs> Have a wonderful week, guys.